0: planted 12 churches, pastored a church up to over 1,000, wrote 200 books and pamphlets, held of the Lord conferences all over America, including national conferences in Indianapolis, Detroit, and Atlanta of 6,000 people coming to see and 20 million copies of his track printed in over 20 languages, had a radio program of eight. I just thought everyone's grandpa did (laughs) that. That was John R. Rice. Some of you may not be familiar with him. You freshmen, maybe... uh, and, uh, but those were his accomplishments, some of them. Born in 1895, died in 1980, grew up as a Texas cowboy, uh, rode his cow pony to Bible College at Decatur Baptist College in Texas, was in the Army during World War I, but God protected him. When his whole division went to combat in Europe, he had the mumps. So God held him back and protected him from that and uh, Uh, for the special purpose that that God had for John Rice. Married Lois Cook on September 7, 1921. Think about that. Her maiden name was Cook. She married a Rice. (laughs) Lois Cook Rice. (laughs) That's that's just the way it turned out. Uh, Family tradition says that uh, when she said yes to him, when he proposed, she said, this is so sudden. Of course, they'd been going together for a couple of years at the time, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> went off to seminary in uh, uh, Fort Worth, Texas, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's where the John o. Rice papers are. All his letters, thousands, uh, probably close to 8,000 letters from him to him, from other people to other people that were copied to him. And uh, I did research in that this past summer and just uh, learned a lot more about my, my own grandfather, uh, I saw the little house still there where uh, they lived in the 1920s, and my mother trusted Jesus Christ as Savior in that house. I may get a little choked up today. Uh, how many have a grandpa or grandma in heaven? A lot of you. Okay, that's what I'm feeling right now. Okay. Um, my relationship with him? Well, he found He became an evangelist. Um, uh, founded the Sword of the Lord in 1934. It eventually, at its height, had over 300,000 subscribers. Very influential in fundamentalism. John Rice was a first generation fundamentalist, born in 1896, uh, 1895. So by the time, fu- time fundamentalism ro- rolled around in the 1920s, he was a grown man and he knew many of the original fundamentalists. Um, and uh, founded this Order the Sword of Lord in 1934. So he had that paper had huge influence among not only fundamentalists, but evangelicals until 1957. Um, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, when I was uh, at Southwestern this past summer, Dr. Paige Patterson is the president there. And Dr. Patterson uh, and I had a good talk before the meal. We, we ate w- dinner with him. And, uh, and he told me that everywhere he went in uh, the 1960s and 70s, all the pastors had the John Rice had John Rice's sword of the Lord on their desks. And uh, it was an independent Baptist publication and they were Southern Baptists. And Dr. Patterson uh, engineered what's called the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptists, And he told me, John Rice planted the seeds for that. And uh, so uh, that's the grandpa I grew up with, but I didn't know he was all of that, had no idea. So let me share with you uh, some of the things Growing up, I do have to share with you one thing from uh, after I was grown. Uh, Pastor Zemple mentioned that to me and, and I got to share this with you. Um, I, he, he was one in, on my ordain, ordination council and my father was and Curtis Hudson was and, and several other well-known preachers, but John Rice only had one question for an ordination council. I'm gonna do my John Rice imitation for you, okay? All right. Well, young man Do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, his deity, his death on the cross for our sins, bodily resurrection, second coming in power and glory, verbal and plenary inspiration of Scripture? Believe in that? Yes, sir. He believes like I do. Let's ordain him. (laughs) (laughs) I I have talked. He did that in all the ordination councils he was on. I've talked to another preacher that had the same experience. But if you're ordained here, guys, it's going to be tougher than that. As I mentioned that to Pastor Van Gelden one time, and he was shocked. I said, oh, we've got to be tougher than that on him. So, <laughs> so I asked tough questions. What I want to share with you about who he was is based on Matthew 1.23, Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, what? God with us. There was a book written... In the 17th century, by actually a Catholic monk, but a mystic, someone who thought deeply about God, but not necessarily always biblical. So I don't necessarily recommend the book, even though uh, uh, W. uh, No, uh, uh, a couple of famous uh, Protestant preachers have recommended it, but I don't necessarily uh, recommend the book. But he had this title to it: "The Practice of the Presence of God," and that's an awesome title. And that was John R. Rice. The secret. If you've read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, the secret of John R. Rice's life was practicing the presence of God, being with Jesus everywhere he went, okay? So, um, I, one thing I learned down in, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, there was a letter written by a college student writing a paper, uh, and he had written to a number of famous preachers and asked what their devotional practices were. And I, I don't have it with me. I'm not going to read it to you or anything. But one thing stuck out to me. John O'Reilly said, I, pr- I try to pray 100 times a day. And I read that, and I thought, how do you count? <laughs> do you have a little card? You know, one, two, three, four. Hashtag button fun, one, two, three, four. I mean, I don't know how you do that. But that was his practice trying to pray 100 times a day. Now, he practiced the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us at all times. First of all, God is with us in our daily life. Hebrews thirteen five, um, hath He not said, "I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee." You can look it up if you want, uh, but you, you know the verse. Uh, I, m- I might as well read the whole verse. I do have my marker here at Hebrews chapter twelve. So Hebrews thirteen and five, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For the said. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. John Rice did not have a fancy house, had a little t- three-bedroom house, that tiny little house down in Southwestern, one fancy. He built it himself, apparently. That's what I was told by Dr. Patterson. And uh, uh, his house, uh, when I was growing up, was uh, in, in Wheaton, Illinois, and then in, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and, and not pretentious, not big, like, like some of the big shot preachers have, you know. And he didn't believe in the health and wealth gospel. He had a saying he, remember, he wrote over 200 books. Some of those books sold hundreds of thousands. His book, Prayer Asking and Receiving, something like 500,000 copies. His bestseller was a little book on heaven, 600,000 copies. But he would say, he put all of that back into the ministry. He didn't keep it. Anything from his books he put into the ministry. And he would say, millions of dollars have passed through these hands, but praise the Lord, none of it stuck. Okay. And he lived this passage. He lived with the knowledge that God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So revival was our lifestyle growing up. I remember as a little boy sitting in grandpa's lap, and grandpa said, "Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up, Johnny? And I I knew I should say preacher, but I wanted to be a cowboy. (laughs) So I said, I want to be a cowboy preacher, grandpa. That worked out fine. Oh, that's wonderful, because he was both, right? He had done it, so, you know, he could approve of that. Um, I was a movie star at age three. It was not a Hollywood movie, okay? It was a Sword of the Lord movie, John R. Rice movie. It was called um, Bringing in the Sheaves. So, his whole, his whole pattern was solely revival. That's revival. That was his life, I have very vivid memories, probably my first memories ever, at age three, being in Bringing in the Sheaves, and that was the name of the movie, and it was about one young lady who trusted Christ as Savior, and her journey to get there, and how at the very end, John Rice leads him Rice leads her to Christ. But um, the girl comes to work at the Sword of the Lord, even though she's not saved, and uh, and she's going through all this. She's listening to jazz music on the radio, and she's, you know, and she's not reading her Bible and everything. And she just she grew up in a Christian home, but she's not saved. And, and so, and John Rice's six daughters, uh, are not easy on her. Well, my mother was daughter number two. We had the first kids in our family for the John Rice family. Uh, the oldest daughter uh, had to adopt, and the third daughter had to adopt. But uh, my mother and father had four of us, and I was the fourth of four. Uh, so. I remember I have two memories from that movie. One of them, I was supposed to be sick. I was supposed to be have a cold and a flu or something. I was supposed to cough, you know, cough on cue. Age three, so. <laughs> oh, sounds like you have a cold, Johnny. Here's some medicine, and it was it was vanilla, raw vanilla. That was the medicine. She put it in a spoon and gave it to me, and <laughs> and uh, I remember that. Uh, not something I wanted to drink. I remember sitting under the piano. My mother was playing the piano. Mom was actually a piano teacher, very good at piano. And I'm sitting under the piano, and my instructions as an actor, I didn't have any lines to say, thank you, Lord. But my instructions as an actor was, sit under the piano and play with this stuffed rabbit. It was me playing with a stuffed rabbit for a long time. You know, sitting under a piano playing with a stuffed rabbit may sound easy to you. you. Walk the rabbit along. Hop, hop, hop. Look at it. Hop, hop, hop. (laughs) Flop, flip. Flop, (laughs) flip. Whee. Whee. There's only so much you can do with a stuffed rabbit under a piano, right? (laughs) So I have that vivid memory, but uh, it was a soul-winning movie designed to win souls, designed to encourage Christians to serve God. Every Sunday morning, we lived in Wheaton, Illinois, every Sunday morning. My dad planted churches in Kansas for two, uh, years when I was born. That's where, where I was born in uh, Oklahoma across the border, nearest hospital, the Baptist Hospital of Miami, Oklahoma. So I was born a Baptist, okay? <laughs> and uh, when I was just a tiny little baby, I don't remember, we moved to Wheaton. We were there for eight and a half years, I think, until uh, my granddad uh, moved down to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And my dad uh, went down and took a pas- pastorate in, in Tennessee also. But um, every Sunday, we would go to the Rice Clan's uh, dinner. And weren't, there weren't that many of us yet at that time. Eventually, there were, I think, 45. We called it the Rice Clan, It's yes, a Texas thing. And uh, have a good meal there. I remember being spanked one day by John Rice because uh, I messed with something he told me not to. And uh, John Rice was a good spanker. You'll never hear that from anyone else, I'm pretty sure, unless you meet one of my aunts. Uh, well, my sister told me she'd been spanked by him, too, so, you know, it's a very privileged club. <laughs> Impossible to get in now. It's a, membership is done. Uh, I remember my grandmother being, being upset because I climbed on a rose trellis. Who climbed on the trellis out there? Jo- Mrs. Rice, my grandma, she could devastate you like this. Oh, I wonder who did that. That's so sad. And you're going, oh. <laughs> kill me now!" <laughs> uh, sweetest woman I've ever known in my entire life. We'd have dinner there, and you know, we kids would play outside. We'd play tag or, or whatever, just like normal kids, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> Grandpa had a collie, and Flicka was her name, and Flicka sang. Come in the front, I remember distinctly coming in the front door. Piano off to the right there. Flicka's sitting on the piano bench with Grandpa Rice. And he played with two fingers. He wrote all the songs in this book with two fingers. Fortunately, Uncle Sandy uh, was a tremendous musician and he would put in the, you know, the parts and everything. But he'd be playing a piano with two, two fingers, you know. Amazing grace. And Flicka, the singing dog, would be going. It was fun. Growing up in the Rice family was fun. Uh, It was all about revival, but it was all about joy also. And if you have the Lord with you, you have joy. John Rice planted 11 churches in Texas. He would go to a a city, and uh, he'd set up a tent. He'd have people come in, and he'd have people saved, hundreds of people saved, and he'd organize them in the church, and he'd call someone he knew could be a pastor, and that pastor would come, and he'd move on. It wouldn't take very long, either. And that's uh, basically how most of the independent Baptist per, uh, movement in Texas got started, a lot of it anyway. And uh, then he moved to uh, Wheaton, be, to be near Wheaton College. In those days, there was no Bob Jones, well, there was a Bob Jones University, but it's very small. Uh, Wheaton was the premier fundamentalist school, Wheaton College, in, in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. Um, so he moved to Wheaton so his six daughters could go to Wheaton College. And That's where my mother went. That's where she met my father, thank you, Lord. And uh, um, that's where he lived. He had this beautiful home, but just three bedroom. I mean, nothing special, just you can see very similar homes all around this city, and uh, we'd go there. Well, um, I was baptized. He started Calvary Baptist Church in Wheaton, because there wasn't a church that he was completely satisfied with. He started Calvary Baptist Church, and it was all based on revival. And I remember my father leading singing. Dad became an evangelist for a while, and Dad would lead singing when he was home. And I remember prayer meetings, and I remember uh, playing tag out in front of the church. It was on a corner. I can see it in my head. Uh, I remember my two older sisters trying to get me to kiss little Sherry, and I fought that with all my might because, you know, six-year-old boys don't do that. (laughs) And you boys don't do it either. You got me? All right. Okay. Uh, So many good memories from there. Uh, in 1959, I was seven years old. Uh, Grandpa Rice started The Voice of Revival, a radio broadcast, all about revival, all about getting people saved. And um, the announcer was Bud Lyles, who became an evangelist. Later on, I surrendered to, the, to God's, uh, uh, to, I surrendered to the Lord at age 16 under his ministry. And then I was called to preach under Bud Lyles' ministry. But he was the announcer. And uh, my family was the choir, my aunts and uncles were the choir. And they would start every uh, program with this song: "A mighty revival is coming this way, the very revival we're needing today. It's coming from heaven. Believe while you may, pray while you pray. A mighty revival is coming this way." And I can all these years later, I still remember it distinctly. I would sit on the floor and play with something, I don't know, anything but a rabbit, but I would play with something uh, while, they, while they had this, this, the meeting, and, and uh, then John, this is at a radio stu- studio that we would go to, and then he would preach, and uh, many people got saved through that, through that time. So our daily life was one of God's presence and God's revival. That was how the Rice Clan, uh, clan lived, and uh, that's how I grew up. The Sword of the Lord building there in Wheaton, Illinois. I thought everyone's grandpa had a big building that (laughs) they printed a newspaper in. Um, There was uh, an express elevator, or no, actually not express, there was a a freight elevator. Loved to ride up and down on that. I was not allowed to push the buttons for some reason, um, but I could ride up it when dad went up there, you know, or grandpa or someone else, and I'd ride on that up and down. And uh, I would collect people's name tags Back in those days, you guys can't imagine this, I'm sure, but they would have pieces of metal about like this, okay, and on it would be someone's name, and that would be put into a machine to a label maker, and it would get ka through the ink, and that would put the person's name on the label, and they would put that on the, mag- in the newspaper, and they would send it off that way. But, you know, when someone, uh, someone uh, didn't want the newspaper anymore, they'd, you know, they'd toss out the, the name tag, and I would get those from My memory says from the floor, but that sounds silly. Maybe in the trash. I don't know. I couldn't have gotten them from the trash, but I? (laughs) But anyway, I'd pick up those, and I had a collection of those. Our daily life with Christ. Emmanuel, God with us all the time. In all of our problems, God was with us. Psalm 139, 7 through 10 You know, you you can't get away from God. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, you're not going to get away from Him. Psalm 139, uh, 7 through 10 really illustrates that. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely in verse 11, the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. You can't get away from God. You don't want to get away from God, especially when you've got trouble. And John O'Reilly certainly had trouble in his life. When I was five years old, April 6, 1957, granddad uh, was going to take uh, a package to send it from the post office. He came home, came back to the Sword of the Lord after that, the building. And there, were, there was a basement, and there were um, uh, concrete stairs going down to the basement. He, going down those stairs, he tripped and fell all the way to the bottom, had a fractured skull. Not just a concussion, a fractured skull. And uh, at that time, I remember going to visit him. The doctor put him at house rest at home, actually. There wasn't anything they could do for him at the hospital. Um, and I remember going and visiting him, and there he is lying in bed, and his head all bandaged and um. And I'm thinking as a five-year-old kid, wow, this is crazy. That's my grandpa. He's strong. He's, you know, he's always, he's always up there preaching or doing something. And, and good night. How in the world can this possibly happen? But he was so laid back. Oh, well, Johnny, how are you? And I saw joy. He's lying there with a fractured skull. Could have killed him. Here's what he said about that fractured skull. Satan tried to kill me, but Satan can do nothing but what God allows. I think the saint was right who said that Christian is immortal until his work is done. God is with you, Emmanuel, all the time until your work is done. And that's what John R. Rice lived by. God is with us everywhere I go. God is with me. You can see blessing anywhere you go. You can go to the other side of the world to Japan, China, Thailand, Korea, and God's with you. So uh, he got well from that, but that very same year, Billy Graham and John Rice had a falling out. What was it about? It was about liberalism. I don't mean uh, liberalism in the sense that you know someone believed that pants were okay on women or. You know, it's okay to uh, drink a little liquor, or have a cigarette or whatever. Not that, not that. We're talking about people that not even believe that Jesus was the son of God. That kind of theological liberalism. Billy Graham came to the place where he said, let's get everyone in a city, liberals, fundamentalists, everyone to, to sponsor my crusade and that'll work better, we'll get more souls saved. John R. Rice was a fundamentalist, he took a stand against that. All, one thing I learned down in Texas going through the John Rice papers, I just to me it was just an, an inc- kind of an isolated incident in 1957. They had a disagreement. John Rice wrote and said, you still want to be on the board of the sword of the Lord because we have on our masthead opposes uh, modernism, liberalism, and so forth. And Billy Graham wrote back and said, no, please take me off the board, the cooperating board. I thought that's, that's it. That's just what happened. But for over a year before that happened in... in 1957. There were letters going all over America from John R. Reich, from Bob Jones, from Billy Graham, uh, saying, "Please understand and don't you know and don't turn against me and please you know keep keep telling about my meetings in the Sword of the Lord and, and all these things." It, w- it was a huge event in fundamentalism and evangelicalism, and it turned out. And I didn't know this when I was a boy. I you know I was clueless. Well, just seven years old. Wh- what do I know about it? You know, my brother remembers. Uh, John and Rice and Grandma and Grandpa Rice going to Billy Graham's house and finding out that their kids had a soda fountain. And my brother got jealous. I don't even remember that, you know. I, John R- Billy Graham was not even in my head anywhere. Uh, what was in my head? Well, you know, toy soldiers and <laughs> little books and stuff like that. Billy Graham wrote him in 1955, just a note to say how deeply I appreciate all that you have written in the Sword of the Lord. I continue to be humbled and thankful for your bonds and the fellowship of the gospel. I feel that I'm not deserving of the gracious and generous things that you continue to say about me and my ministry. I give all the glory and praise to God." That's 1955. Two years later, Billy Graham was dropping John Rice, who had mentored him, and hanging out with the liberals. I don't know if you can picture how devastating that kind of thing is to a preacher. Someone you have mentored, someone you have loved, Maybe sometimes even someone you've led to the Lord, and they turn against you. So Grandpa had a broken heart at that time, but he began writing songs at that time. He was in his 60s already, never written a song until then. 1957, he wrote The Price of Revival. It's in this little book here, page 11 price of revival, the cost of soul winning, the long hours of praying, the burden, the tears, the pleading with sinners, the lonely, a stranger is repaid at the reaping up there. Reaping, heavenly reaping for souls won down here. That's what he wrote when his heart was destroyed, was devastated by um, someone he mentored turning against him. If if I try singing, I'll probably end up crying, Uh, but... I love thee, my Jesus, the first in this song, 1958, a year later. I'm going to try to sing it. It's a wonderful song, okay? Um, what words can I find to tell Jesus I love him because he first loved me, because of my ransom he paid with such suffering upon the cursed tree in the morning at the noontide? And when come evening shadows, I love thee, my Jesus. I love thee, my King, in rejoicing and in sorrow, in lightness and burden. I love thee, my Savior and Lord. When your heart is devastated, Jesus is there. Thirdly, in obeying the Great Commission, Jesus is there. And you know this passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know the passage, but we're going to read it anyway just to get the impact. All power is given unto me. And Jesus came and spake unto them, all, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you alway." even unto the end of the world. Amen." John Rice knew the presence of God to the end of the world. He visited Japan twice. He visited India. India. He was in Korea. I don't think he ever made it it to Africa, if so, it's not in his biographies. Two biographies, two full-length biographies have been written about him, and at least two uh, pamphlet-sized biographies have been written about him. None of them talk about going to Africa. But I know he did go to various countries. The, the, his uh, tract, What Must they Do To Be Saved, was printed in over 20 languages, various languages in India, Japanese, Korean, uh, Spanish, and so forth. It's still used in Spanish, I'm sure. Um, uh, there's a Sword of the Lord uh, Spanish version called La Spada. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, here is the, the Japanese version, okay? What must I do to be saved? It was originally in green, and uh, this is a reprint I had done. Um, when I worked at the Sword of the Lord, I, uh, one day uh, I was planning to go to Japan. Everyone knew that. Miss Viola Walden, who was his executive secretary, one day took me to a closet and said, Johnny, here's a box in here of, well, are those Japanese tracks? And I saw them, a box, a couple hundred Japanese tracks of this. And I thought, yeah. And wouldn't you know, I, I think I wrote it down somewhere, but I can't find the exact incident, but I think it was that very day going downtown in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, I I found a Japanese man and gave him a Japanese tract. And the look on his face (laughs) uh, was awesome. Uh, God is so good. Age six, I, I, I grew up thinking it's absolutely normal to win souls to Christ, okay? Age six, I go to kindergarten. Had a little friend named Paul. And before kindergarten started, we've got, you know, kindergarten was just a block away, you know, so I'd walk there. It was all safe and everything. And I'd, we're playing outside under a tree, you know, this is a great big tree, you know, about like that. And, and Paul and I are playing, and I, and I just said to Paul, I said, Paul, I said, have you ever believed in Jesus? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, I don't know how. So I told him how I got saved. My mother, I went to my mother's knee at age four, and I said, Uh, Mommy, I want to get saved. And she said, well, do you know John 3.16? And I said, yes. And she said, put your name in it. For God so loved Johnny that he gave his only begotten son that if Johnny uh, would believe in him, Johnny would not perish but have everlasting life. So I did that. And it came very clear to me. I was under conviction of sin. It became very clear to me what that meant. Jesus died for me. And we talked about that some. And this is the John John Rice method of soul winning. He'd use Isaiah 53. He'd use John 3.16. And then he would not not give a prayer to to the person to pray. He wouldn't say, pray this prayer. He would say, now let's pray, and I'll pray first, and then you pray, and thank God for saving you. So that's what my mother did with me, and I thanked the Lord for saving me. I remember it very clearly, the joy I had. So I told Paul two years later, I, uh, I said, this is how you get saved. And I told him just how I'd gotten saved. And Paul bowed his head and thanked God for saving him. And we went on playing, and they called for kindergarten, and we went into kindergarten. It was a normal day. Well, that day I came home from kindergarten, and lo and behold, Paul and his mother came to our house. And my mother called me in. She and Paul's mother were talking. My mother called me in and and said, Johnny, come here. I walked in. and said, "Uh uh-oh. What have I done? Haven't tried to burn the house down lately. I did do that once. I, I, would, well, I know this is a side, it's a good story, so it, it's a side trail, but it's a good story. Uh, I was playing Daniel Boone, and I st- started a little fire right next to the house there, a little alcove between two bushes, and I started a fire there, and I saw the wood there was starting to get a little black, and I thought, hmm, this is probably not a good idea, and I put it out, but the lady across the street saw the smoke and squealed on me, so uh, <laughs> Uh, So I went, and my brother, no, I didn't, I didn't do that, no. But anyway, uh, so I thought, what have I done lately? And I couldn't remember anything bad I'd done lately. So I went in, and my mom said, "Mrs. uh, Paul's mommy wants to say something to you. And she was a Christian. She said, thank you for leading Paul to Jesus Christ. Oh, is that all? Okay. That's a normal day. That's what people do. So what's what's the big deal about it? Um, That was the John Rice family. Now, I didn't know this, but at that time, when I was a little boy, my grandfather had a burden for Japan. So at one point, he raised money in 1951 or 2, I think, for 3 million of these to be printed in Japanese. Right after the war, the Japanese had been defeated. They're devastated. Many of them had their hearts open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, he raised money for, out of his own pocket for 3 million of these to be printed. And many Japanese people trusted Jesus Christ, the Savior, through that. I have a book here, The Amazing Power of the Gospel in Print, Thrilling Stories of Changed Hearts and Lives Through the Sword of the Lord Literature, Quoting Actual Letters, uh, compiled by the um, Miss Viola Walden, who was his executive secretary. And here's a story in here. Dear Dr. Rice, 1952. Dear Dr. Rice, just a short note to tell you how much we appreciate giving out your Japanese tract, What Must I Do to Be Saved? Last Sunday, while returning from a service in a nearby town, another missionary and I were giving out these tracts on the train. One young young Japanese man, about 25 years of age, came to my friend's seat and said he had read the tracts through and he wanted to be saved now. He was deeply under conviction and did not mind the other people looking at him as he talked to us. There happened to be a Christian Japanese teacher on the train and through him I had the happy privilege of pointing him to Christ. He appeared to be genuinely converted. I'm sending you his signed decision he gave us. So at the back of this, there was a place you could sign and say, I'm believing in Jesus Christ. We are enjoying the sword immensely. May God bless you in the great work you are doing for Jesus. Jim Norton, Nagano-ken, Japan. In 1981, we arrived in Japan to work with Jim Norton. Isn't God good? Grandpa didn't want me to go to Japan. He, he, he really thought it was the will of God for everyone, on, everyone every born-again believer on earth to work at the sword of the Lord at some point in their life. That was his philosophy. So he knew I was going to Japan, and one day he said, why do you want to go to Japan? And I, don't, I, I respected him so much, I don't remember what I said. It was just, just a blank in my head. But I hope what I said is God called me He said once, you can win more people to the Lord in America than Japan. But he only had himself to blame because he had a burden for Japan when I was growing up. I must have heard about it. So when God called me, I was ready. It took me a week, but I said yes. And I went to Japan knowing that God could work there because God was going to be with me. Granddad would quote this verse quite often, Romans 15, 29. Turn there, please. This is a very important verse, I feel, for the Lord's work. Romans 15 and verse 29. The Apostle Paul is saying to the Romans, I want to go there, I want to be there someday. And he says, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And Grandpa Rice interpreted that to say, anywhere you go, you can see God's work because He is with you. He is with you. And uh, I, I could talk another hour, I'm sure, about memories of him, but... Let me close with this. Uh, Probably the worst time I ever had in Japan was uh, when my wife's grandmother died. And she and my baby boy went back to America for the funeral. They were supposed to come back to America on a Saturday uh, afternoon. Uh, To Japan on a Saturday afternoon. So I got on a, a train to go and to the airport a couple hours away, the International Airport, and go and meet them. On the way there, uh, at the last train, uh, going to be a half hour down to the airport after I transferred, a woman came up to me on the platform and said, a Japanese woman, and said, uh, can you help me? How, is this the train to go to the airport? Because she was going to go and meet someone. I said, yes, it is. And she said, could you help me get there? She's asking me a foreigner, okay? And that's very a- atypical for a Japanese person. Well, we got on the train and And uh, I I began telling her about Jesus Christ on the train. And just as Jim Norton said in the story here, she began to weep right there on the train in front of other Japanese. Very rare thing to happen. And she trusted Christ as Savior right there on the train. So I went all the way to the airport. And uh, my wife and baby boy were not on the airplane. I did not know it, but their airplane uh, fuel line had frozen in Detroit, and so they got to San Francisco late and were not able to catch their plane there. They were in a motel uh, in America, and I didn't know that. I didn't get the word. The word did not get to me like it was supposed to. I met every single airplane that came from America that day. <laughs> she wasn't on any. I thought maybe she went through New York. Maybe she went through Houston. Who knows? I met every single airplane. She wasn't on I headed back home, devastated. Where were my wife and son? But you know what? God was with me on the trip out there, and I saw God bless and a soul saved. and God was with me on the way home. Next morning, Sunday, I, I slept by the telephone downstairs by the te- on the floor by the telephone. Finally, I thought the next morning, I thought, wait a minute. I didn't know the phone numbers. My wife had them in her head. She, she had her church phone number and her home phone number in her head. I didn't know the phone numbers, and she didn't write them down anywhere. But I found a tract from her church. And I called her home church, and I I talked to her mother between services, and I said, Mom, what's going on? And she she told me the story. But you know what? God was with me. Emmanuel, God with us. Lo, I am with you all the way, even to the end of the world. You can count on Jesus to be with you. That's the life that John Rice lived. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for my grandfather, and my grandmother, and my parents, thank you that I was raised in a revival atmosphere. Thank you for this college, which emphasizes a revival atmosphere. And I pray that you would use these students. Some of them are going to go to faraway places where they may someday doubt your presence. Be with them and show them your mighty presence in a wonderful way. With your head bowed, how many want to You say, I'd never thought about that. You'd never thought about it, but you want to practice the presence of God and see Him work everywhere you go. How many will say that? Just raise your hand. All right. You'd never thought of it before, but you want to do it. Yes, amen. Heavenly Father, I I thank You for these students. I pray You'd bless them and use them. In Jesus' name, amen.